0: I think I was in the fourth grade when our teacher taught us about this American legend named Johnny Appleseed. Do you all remember first learning of Johnny Appleseed? He was born under the name John Chapman in 1774, just near the birth of this nation. And he was what was called a pioneer nurseryman. That's the way they spoke of what he did in his day. It was a very simple thing that he was doing, traveling around, placing seeds and seedlings in the ground in order to plant orchards of apple trees. And that he did. All through the area that is now known as Pennsylvania and Ohio, and Indiana and Illinois. Some of you have been to those areas and have seen large expanses of fields that are covered with apple trees, none of which are the actual ones that he planted. But if you can imagine that they are seedlings of Some that are connected directly back to some of the trees that he planted over 200 years ago. It's fascinating to think about this eccentric man who carried loads of seeds with him and that these trees dotted the landscape and surprised people. His passion for planting was a way of his providing out of his very generous heart, he was providing not only for those in his generation, but for generations to come. He was a little bit of a weird soul. In fact, there is a report of someone who actually saw him. They said that he was wearing very ragged clothes and that his hair was long. And that, for whatever reason, he had a pot on his head. (laughs) He was in a canoe and traveling a river in order to get to new territory that was promising for the establishment of an orchard. But the thing that was interesting is that he was in one canoe and he had next to him another canoe that was filled with seed. And so he was on a mission and he spent his life seeking to put these seeds in place in order that the world might know of this beautiful thing called an apple tree. Now, when I want apples, I just go down the road just a few blocks and I talk to Reuben. Do y'all know Reuben? Reuben is a wonderful purveyor of apples. He works in the produce section down the street. And Reuben, I just love him. He has such a passion for apples. And if I'll reach for an apple, he'll say to me, let me tell you about that apple. (laughs) And he knows everything's apple. And so I stand there and I listen to him. And I finally have learned that when I go in, it's best just to say to Reuben, which apples should I buy today? And he'll say, he'll say I can tell you the best ones we've got, and he'll bring those out and I'll purchase them. And he has just such a passion for sharing. But can you imagine the passion that Johnny Appleseed had for setting up the system of sharing? Now, Reuben sells apples to me, which is a good thing. I'm glad that Reuben is there. But Think about what Johnny Appleseed was doing in setting up this system of caring that perpetuated itself for years and years and even generations that followed him. What a wonderful thing to think about this skit that has been shared with us today because there are many things that will claim our attention away from the work that God wishes us to do. There is, of course, the demand of keeping up the house. There are the demands of paying for the cars. There's the demand of of, uh, having certain hobbies, and it is a demand. I mean, we would not live without certain hobbies, right? There are fashion things that we wish to purchase. All of these things keeping up education, paying for our taxes, all of this stuff, all of this is the maintaining of life. And yet it becomes to the exclusion of God and what God wishes to do with us. He wishes to entrust to us the very nature of who he is. If we're made in the likeness of God, could it be that the likeness that we are ignoring is the generous heart of a God who loves us? And he's calling us to live generously as well. This is not a difficult passage to understand. The point is very simple. It is well taken. Paul says the point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Paul is sharing concern for the poor that are in Jerusalem. We do not understand their economic situation in its entirety, but we know that in some ways they were closed off from being able to take care of themselves. These members of the early church probably had been so ostracized by the Jewish community that there was little that they could do to provide for themselves or their families. And so as Paul traveled around, and went into the community of the church that had begun to flower in other places and did not feel that internal pressure of the city, he began to ask them to send alms, to send offerings to Jerusalem in order to care for those that were in need. The sharing of resources is such an important thing. And the church at its best does that as the people of the church realize that we are caring for those in need. Do you realize how we should be doing it though? I talk with people that will share with me that they have been asked for assistance from an organization or from an individual who needs care in their situation. And you are so generous. Each of you have found ways to be generous. But have you found ways to set up the system of generosity? You are entrusted with generosity, but how is it that you are caretaking those who are not in your presence right now but will be in need in the future? I want to give you an idea that this is important work. It is like the difference between planting annuals and planting perennials. Now annuals are a great thing and before you leave today the property, I want you to look out at the church sign because we are proud of some things that have happened there. Some beautiful annuals have been put in place. Now the beauty of this though is a great system has been set up so that when those annuals Before you even realize it, when they begin to wither just a little bit, they will be plugged. It's going to be like Disney World around here. (laughs) We'll remove those and put others in their place, and it will be this continuing story of the beauty of God in this place. But let me ask you this Do you know the difference between an annual and a perennial? Because a perennial will reappear on its own every year. Now, I. I'm such a blessed man as to live in a yard when I'm surrounded by plants that I didn't put in the ground. (laughs) Flowers that are blooming that we didn't put there. What a beautiful thing. Now, we put flowers there too, but what a beautiful thing to be able to experience the beauty of what someone, and who knows who did that? Now, come on, Tim Stephan didn't do it. Come on, it's got to... (laughs) Mike Euling, maybe Mike Euling. Okay, but but who knows who put these there? And guess what? Guess what? Those will outlive our even being here. They will continue to repopulate the yard. And Sue and I have added some things ourselves. In fact, we have put some blueberry bushes in the backyard. Now, I think God is laughing at me because we put these blueberry bushes in some three years ago now, and I think we have harvested six blueberries. (laughs) They are not not responding to what we're doing so far. But I have great faith that somebody will reap the rewards of those blueberries at some point in the future. And you know this is going to happen. You know it's going to happen to set up systems of caring is so incredibly important. And this is what Pittman Park has been doing. But we need to be very, very focused on continuing to do this. Our food ministries are just that. As we think about caring for, uh, for the children that are blessed through the can-do ministries, uh, for, for those, the backpack buddies and, the, and then the can-do ministries, uh, those that we care for in the community that are in need, these are systems that are set up. When we think about our mission teams that are going forth, uh, the beauty of the Haiti mission team is not that just this year they have chosen to go to Haiti, but they have built relationships with the people in Haiti and are returning to places where people understand what we are doing and want to participate in that as well. That is a beautiful way of doing mission. And the same in the Dominican Republic. These are systems that we are setting in place. And many of you have participated in the new homeless shelter that is here in town. And what a beautiful thing that is, to see the birthing of that uh, that outreach to those who are at such a destitute place and who have lost hope. I can tell you what that homeless center is about. It is about reinstilling hope in the lives of people and making them self-sufficient to care for their own needs and the needs of their family. And it's a beautiful system that is being worked out. Some of you know that the Methodist Church has many, many agencies, and you have helped to support these agencies. I love to see words about the Methodist home for children and youth in Macon, Georgia, which has now spread its arms around this conference and has many other locations at which it is reaching out to care for children and youth that have been in abusive situations, that have been in abandoned situations, and they welcome them, just gathering them in. But if the system of the Methodist home was not in place, Can you imagine what would be happening in these children's lives? Have you ever heard of Wesley Glenn Ministries? Again, too, uh, this which is situated first in um, Macon, Georgia. It has other locations for caring for those with mental disabilities. But in Macon, Georgia, the interesting thing is that years ago, someone saw the potential for using a county dump and changing it into a place that could bless lives, not only in this generation, but for generations to come. And the church keeps that system alive and working. There's a connection, I tell you, between sowing and reaping. One of the best ways of understanding this is understanding who John Wesley was, and who George Whitfield was. Now, raise your hand if you know who George Whitfield is. Okay, a few of you do that, um, but not many know the name George Whitfield. Now, when John Wesley was in school at Oxford in England, he was a part of a small group, um, and George Whitfield was one of the members of that small group that he was in. George Whitfield could preach the bark off a tree. He was a stemwinder of a preacher. John Wesley was an educated soul and he preached a whole lot. Oh, but he couldn't hold a candle to George Whitfield when it came to preaching. When George Whitfield would come to an area, people would turn out by the thousands. In fact, when he would preach, he had to preach outside because there were too many people to listen to him in any building that had been constructed. And he told John Wesley, you'd ought to be preaching outside. And so from that point on, John Wesley began preaching outside too. But let me tell you, the reason that you remember the name John Wesley instead of the name of George Whitfield is because John Wesley set up the systems of small group ministry and accountability. You and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for John's understanding of the perpetual nature of doing this kind of generous work. Paul says, Each of you must give as you have made up your mind. And isn't that the way it always is? What are you thinking about even right now as I speak? You may have done a disconnect thinking, Oh, I need to check out this is a stewardship sermon of some sort. Paul says, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And you know this, joy is contagious, isn't it? If you are around someone who is happy, it makes you happy just to be close to them, doesn't it? Doesn't it? (laughs) Doesn't it? Doesn't it make you happy? Doesn't it? Come on now. If you want to be a generous person, Paul is saying, do it with a gladness in your heart. Don't miss the opportunity. I found it interesting to read something that the Archbishop of Constantinople wrote in the fourth century. John Christosom. He said, is it not enough to, it is not enough to help the poor. We must help them with generosity and without grumbling. And it is not enough to help them without grumbling. We must help them gladly and happily. When the poor are helped, there ought to be these two conditions, generosity and joy. If you give gladly, even if you give only a little, it is a big gift. If you give unwillingly, even if you give a big gift, you turn it into a small one. You get what he's saying? How is it that you are giving? How is it that you see this opportunity? that we are entrusted with generosity. Verse eight is so interesting here and has been so misunderstood and misused. It says, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. There's some preachers that have stood up and they have talked about how God, you can't outgive God. And by that, they mean, as far as the prosperity gospel is concerned, this very flawed notion that you give God a dollar and he'll give you back two. That is theologically murky at best. Because that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, he refers specifically to the church at Macedonia at the beginning of the 8th chapter... And he uses that as a motivation to the Corinthians because here in the first of the eighth chapter, he says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia for during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means. If you think that you give a dollar, God gives you back two, we need to sit down and talk. But I can tell you what I have observed, that for those people that have given their lives over to tithing, I never have talked with a soul, not a single one, not a single tither that will groan about not having enough. Do you realize this? It does not happen. So that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good Work. I had a conversation with a woman who was dying of cancer. She was near her last days and she looked at me and she said, I could have done so much more with, co- with what God gave to me. Those are sobering words. Johnny Appleseed was this poor pioneer Sharing what he could, realizing that he was entrusted with generosity, he made a mark upon the land. And yet Johnny Appleseed is not the reason we're gathered here, right? (laughs) Come on. Now, you remember that Jesus gave his life for us. Can we do less than put God at the head of this table and to ask the question, what first should I be giving for God's purposes and God's work? This week you will receive a card, or at least most of you will, that is a pledge card, it will be in an envelope with a letter. What you do with that is your business. You have made up your mind as to what you will do, some of you already. Some of you will see the letter and you'll say, I know what that is. No reason to open it. And you'll leave it there on your kitchen counter for several days until Sunday morning. And then you may think to yourself, oh, oh, we gotta look at that just a second before we go. I wanna encourage you to open that letter as early as you can and to prayerfully consider what you are giving to God. Does it represent that you have been entrusted with generosity? And just so you know, if you don't receive a card, we will have a lot of cards next Sunday morning. (laughs) And we'll distribute those. And in fact, if you receive a card this week, we want you not to fill it out until you come to worship next Sunday. A time will be given during worship for you to actually fill it out and to place it in a basket. Pray about it. Let your life be this understanding of what it means to be God's generous people. As we come to the close of worship, there's a hymn that we will sing that will... Encourage us to be God's prayerful people this week. And so, Roger, if you would come and lead us in this closing hymn.